Welcome, family, and uh, welcome, welcome. God is a good God. He didn't wake up this morning in a bad mood. God's not judgmental. He's not wrathful. He's not angry. God is a good God. Amen. And His goodness to us pursues us and tracks down our life. And you didn't just meet God when you met Him. He was already after you and pursuing you from the day you were born. Isn't that good? And what a time to have God in our lives. Paul would describe them as evil days or dark days or this present darkness. And uh, that's how Paul would describe it. It's not the same description as what we find in the Bible. That was prior to AD 70. But God is not out of control. God is in control. God is transcendent and he's sovereign, but at the same time he's imminent and present with us. He's involved in our lives. Amen. And he knows what's going on. So even, you know, there's all kinds of theories that are going on, and we know that it's true that there are wicked people running this world, and that there are people that want control of the world, and, uh, you know, there is a minority, but that is nothing new. Because from the earliest days, and we read it in the Bible, from the time of the Philistines, you know, they were conquering nations. And that's primarily who David had to fight against. And then later, the Assyrian Empire came. And uh, they did the first deportations of the Israelites. And then came the Babylonians. And then came the Medo-Persian Empire. And then came the Grecian Empire. And uh, when there were no more worlds to conquer, no more countries to conquer, Alexander the Great sat down and cried because there was no one else left to kill. You know, (laughs) because he'd subjugated them all. And then there was the Roman Empire. And then the Roman Empire was destroyed by the barbarians when they came in because it, it so declined. But God was with his people, with the people of Israel, and then later they were the people of Judah, was with them all the time. And all the time he was protecting them. All the time he was directing their paths. So nothing has taken God by surprise. Is that okay? And one of the things in Genesis when he said to Eve, he said, a seed is coming from you. And he said, and your seed will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise his heel. And right from there became the battle of the ages, you could almost say. It started there because the enemy realized, all right, there's a seed coming and it's going to do me damage. And so he was trying to take out the seed, Christ, for the entirety of history right up until now. And during the time of Moses, the serpent, Satan, engineered the killing of children, all the little baby boys. In the time of Herod, all the baby boys were killed under the age of two, trying to eradicate the seed. But then along comes Jesus. He grows up. Dies on the cross, fulfills everything that God said that he should fulfill. The enemy was so confused. There was a time he was trying to promote the people to make him king by force. And Jesus knew that was not the way he was going to become king. So he withdrew himself. Then other times he tried to have Jesus killed. You know, and he could do nothing until it was the right time. And then when he finally engineered the death of Jesus, he thought he had won. But he stepped right into the noose of the hangman's rope that God had for him and he engineered his own downfall. So listen, church, we can have complete confidence that the same God is involved in our world. Is that okay? And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And John sees it in Revelation. He says, now the kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. So God is not off the throne. He's still on the throne. 
God has not lost control. He still is in control. That's a good place to say. Amen. So we can have peace in our hearts because he's in control. Amen. So are you ready? So last week I spoke a little bit about redeeming the time. And I tried to get away from the message, but it just laid a hold of me again. And so I want to just continue a little bit more with it and lay the foundation for next week. Because um, I never used to be able to preach series, but now I'm not able to not preach series, if you understand what I mean. So just building on it. So last week we spoke about it from Ephesians 5.16, Colossians 4, 4, verse 2, where Paul uses the exact same word, and he talks about redeeming the time. And um, our lives are redeemed. Jesus bought us back from sin and darkness and from the devil, paid the price with his own blood. And um, now he tells us to live a life worthy of him and worthy of that redemption, and that in so doing, we will redeem time. Time is something that once it's gone, is gone, but when we live for God, there's a way that we purchase back time. We purchase it back because we saw last week, Paul talks about the fact that in order to redeem time, he said, because the days are evil. And if Paul was writing today, possibly he could describe our days worldwide, you know, as evil days. Certainly when we looked at all the writing and looting, I mean, when you looked at it, it looked evil. Isn't that right? I mean, it looked, you saw debased human nature plundering and stealing, and it wasn't just the poor. It was people that had money. And so debased human nature. So Paul would call that foolish he would say that that is unwise living, unwise actions. And so he talks about the fact that redeeming time happens when we live as wise people. We saw that to live wisely, we live according to the letter of the word. In other words, if it's written in the Bible, we live that way. Is it okay? It's amazing how many Christians, even though it's written there, still want someone to tell them to live some other way other than what's written there. You know, they want a prophet to prophesy something or a counselor to say something. That's why I find many people to go from counselor to counselor to counselor to counselor until they get one that tells them what they want to hear. And people do that with the Word of God as well, just because they want to live. Now, Paul would, and God would say, that's foolishness. It's folly. It's senseless. It's not, you know, you're not operating with a full box of chocolates, you know, a full deck. There's some missing. And so the second way he talks about the way that we redeem time is to live by the Spirit. Is that okay? And there's many, many, many times when I wasn't sure what to do about situations, even raising my children, you know, how to do it. God would just speak a word of wisdom to me, and it would resolve the situation. That's in cases where there isn't a verse in the Bible. Because if there's a verse, I don't have to pray. I don't have to be led by the Spirit. But then not every situation is covered in the Bible. And God has got an opinion on every matter. Is that okay? And that opinion is covered by the voice of the Spirit. And God will never contradict the Word. He'll never go against the Spirit of the Word. He'll always be in line with the Word. So we saw that from Luke chapter 2, 52, that it talks about Jesus and John the Baptist. And it says, and he grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and man. There's a lot of preachers that preach that Christians have favor the moment they get born again. There's a sense in which you have the favor of God, but you don't have favor until you start living for God. Favor is something that is earned. It doesn't come naturally. Grace comes automatically. 
Is that okay? But not favor. Favor is something that happens. So I'm laying the foundation for next week, which will be part three. And so we see it with Esther before she became queen. She was chosen, and she went through all the ritual. She went through what was customary and customary practice to become a concubine of the king. But there was something different about her because she was a believer. And the day came in order to save the Jewish people, if you read the book of Esther, Mordecai, her uncle, said to her, you're just going to have to go in and speak to the king. So she went in. She told everyone to pray, and she went in. And the Bible tells us that when the king looked at her, he was pleased with her. And because he was pleased with her, he held out his scepter, which she was able to touch, which means that the king had accepted her into his presence. Because the king was pleased. Now, what made the king pleased about her is because she had favor. Is that all right? Now, if she had not, you know, been compliant, if she had been unruly and rebellious and go like, eh, yeah, I'm not going to marry that, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't have happened. Is that all right? And so there's a sense in which when we live wisely, we have that acceptance of God in that sense of the pleasure of God. You just think of it yourself. If you've got one child who just pushes the barriers, tests the limits, who just, you know, same parents, same home, same rules, there's one that just is not going to comply. Though you love the child, your actions towards them has to be different to the ones that have your favor who are compliant, submissive, and obedient. Isn't that right? You don't love them any differently, but your response to them changes. And so God has got some of those children, and they are not in this church. (laughs) They're in all those other churches who watch online. Okay, teasing. And so wisdom is an attribute of God. We know that. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that there are times when we're not sure about a situation. And God is able to take a piece of his mind in the sense of wisdom, and he's able to inject it into you by the Spirit, and it comes as a word of wisdom. Is that okay? And so wisdom becomes available to us by the Word and by the Spirit. For those of you who haven't heard the story, maybe it bears me repeating it and telling it. My oldest son, and I'm only stating it now, partly as a brag, but just listen to the story. He is um, associate professor at Rhodes University in the zoology department. He's very bright, very clever. But when he was in matric, he was heading for failure. (laughs) He was heading to fail matric. And I was always, you know, we had a structured life, structured home, Always did homework, you know, and this kind of thing. You come home, you sit down, you have your lunch, you do your homework, and dad checks it. And then if it's not done, there's an equal and opposite reaction from dad, mm. you know? So you get your homework done. Then after that, you could play. I always made sure they studied and this kind of thing. So anyway, always check the school reports, etc., etc. I was disciplined and a disciplinarian, but I was not overly, but I was extremely loving, extremely good at them, hands-on, played with them. They never wanted for me telling them I loved them, I was proud of them, they're the best kids in the whole world, etc., etc., etc. So one day Ryan comes home, and I think it's the year before his matricula, it was early in the matric year, and um, he comes in, 
And he says, he has my report, Dad, but he's got this very grim look on his face. <laughs> and he gives it to me, and it's in a brown envelope. I'm about to open that. That was in the olden days, you know, before they could put it on all these other platforms, you know. <laughs> so it was kind of mailed to you by hand delivery of your own child. Here's my report, Dad. And uh, so I took it, and I said, oh, great. And I started opening, and he said, Dad, 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 before you look at it, it's not good. So I looked at him, and I could see he's, he's grim. So I said, okay, my boy. And I put it on the counter behind us. We were standing in the kitchen. I leaned back in the counter. So I said, tell me about it. So he said, it's not good, Dad. He said, I didn't get good grades. So before I carried on, he said, so, Dad, because I said, so what are we going to do about it? He said, this is what I want you to do, Dad. I want you to ground me permanently until my marks come up. I looked at him. Now, how many you know kids don't ask for those things? You know, and I'm looking at him and going like, wow. And just suddenly, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit, what do I do here? You know, do I spank him? Do I ground him? Do I, what do I do, you know? And I look at him, and then suddenly I remembered earlier in the year, or it was late in the previous year, they'd been given an essay to do. And um, he'd written the essay and handed it in. And he came home, I remember, with the red ink grade on the top. And I said to him, son, remember the essay you got? So he said, yes. So this was the story about the essay. They wrote the essay, the whole class. And the teacher started to hand the essay back to the students, starting with the Fs, which means foolishness or something <laughs> failed or whatever. And she starts with the really bad ones and hands it out. And he's going like, okay, mine should be in there soon. Soon, you know? And then it wasn't. And then it was like onto the E's. And then it was... He said, okay, it's coming any minute now, any minute now. Then it was the D's, and then it was the C's, and then he's going like, no, there's something wrong here. Then it was the B's, and still Ryan Wasserman is not mentioned, and he's going like, oh, my goodness. Then it comes to A, and she still hasn't handed his out, and he's thinking, okay, I know what it is. Mine's so bad, she's going to wait right till the end and completely humiliate me and make an example of me. So mine must be worse than F. And she came and she said, and she got one more left. And she said, and now, for the best essay I've ever received in my entire teaching career, and it was A with pluses, you know, Ryan Wasserman. And he nearly falls off his chair, can't believe it. So I remember that story, and I say to Ryan, I said, do you remember that day with the essay? And he said, yes. And he said, I said, okay, my boy. I said, can you remember the feeling that you had? He said, yeah, dad, I can remember. I said, what is the feeling that you have right now with this report? And he said, no, it's terrible. So I said, okay, which feeling do you prefer? And he said, no, the feeling that I had with the essay. I said, okay, my boy. I took the report, tore it up, threw it in the dustbin. I said, I don't need to read it, and I'm not going to ground you. From there, he shot up to the, near the top of the class, sailed through matric, and sailed through university. And um, he started deciding that he liked the feeling of passing and passing well, that in every level... And I was there for all of the graduations that he graduated cum laude, cum laude, cum laude, cum laude, cum laude. And um, when he got his doctorate, his PhD, he graduated cum laude and um, Rhodes University had poached him from NNMU University. And in his final year, he wrote more publications that went into international publications than the entire sum total of all master's students before him. 
And it all came from a word of wisdom. Just an injection, an infusion into my mind from the mind of God. Now, I could have broken him, or at best, I could have just motivated him to do a certain level. But he went above and beyond, and now associate professor. That came from a word of wisdom. We need God's wisdom in our lives. Amen? And so it's an attribute of God. It accomplishes God's purposes. We cannot live a life pleasing to God without his wisdom. So listen to Paul, what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. For this reason, since the day I heard about you, I have not stopped praying for you. This is the Colossian church. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, knowledge, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And this is how we please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and then continually growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, the three components of wisdom are in that one verse, knowledge, understanding, and then wisdom. Is that okay? And so the knowledge that we'll get from the word as we read the Bible, you know, the more you meditate on it, the more of an understanding you come to. How many of you have discovered the absolute sense that there is in walking in forgiveness towards people. So as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of God, we gain the mind of Christ. And Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, now you have the mind of Christ. In other words, there's a spiritual component to the physical thing of the brain and connected with your soul and your spirit, it makes up your mind. Is that okay? And the mind is more than the brain, but includes the brain. But now there's a spiritual component, and Paul says, be made new in the spirit of your mind. In other words, God has so created us, and when we were recreated in him, that the mind that we have, which was once natural, has now a capacity to understand spiritual things, which would be a mystery to us. But now we can understand. And the more you meditate on it, the more you can understand the reason for things. How many of you have discovered the more you serve him, the longer you live for God, the more you understand the absolute sense, the wisdom and why God tells us to do certain things and tells us not to do other things. There's an absolute wisdom in it. And so the mind of Christ is really important for us. So we will see life and situations and circumstances from his point of view and live accordingly in a way that pleases him. Now that means that even if no one's watching, you stop at a stop street because it says stop. Now, I know that in some places, you know, it's dangerous and all that kind of thing. Our government has got a bad habit, you know, if there's potholes in the road, they don't fix it. They put a sign up that says potholes. You come to a place which is a hijacking hotspot, so they put a nice sign up for you. Watch out, this is a hijacking hotspot. But there's nothing you can do about it because you have to stop there anyway. Now, that's their way of dealing with it. Now, the sad thing that we see in South Africa is, well, everybody does it, so I'm going to do it. So a stop street is barely even a giveaway, a yield now. A red robot is barely, you know, it's just a yield. People just go through, you know, and it's because everybody does it. Well, the thing is, it's not wisdom from God. Is that okay? I question the integrity of people if that's what they do with road signs. What are they like in the rest of their lives? Come on, church. It means that you're on time for work. It means that you don't take longer than lunch hour. It means that you worked until chile time. You don't start packing your tools up 20 minutes before 
and then wander around for the last five minutes and then out the door even before it's time. No, you work until it's time. Then you pack up your tools. Is everybody following me? Okay. So walking in wisdom, living right, is based on the fear of God. It's really interesting. We were blessed this week to go down to the coast. And um, Kevin, my son-in-law, said, you know, from a little boy till now, he says, every time I come to the coast and I see the sea in the distance, it has the same effect on me. He said, it's like a breathless excitement comes up inside of me. And, you know, it has the same effect on me. Standing on top of some mountain in the Drakensberg has the same effect because you overcome with the awesomeness of creation, the magnitude, the greatness of it. You know, the sea can be extremely attractive, extremely beautiful. It can be extremely intimidating. But it's the sheer magnitude and size of it, the immensity of it reminds you of God. And so when the Bible talks about the fear of God, it means the same thing, that reverential awe of God that causes that, that breathless excitement in you when you ponder who He is. And Proverbs says it in more than one place, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, I so reverentially respect God and understand who He is that I used to say to my kids, you know, the wisest thing you can do, even if you don't understand, the wisest thing you can do is just do what God says. You don't even have to understand it. You will start to understand it, but just do what God says. And Job, in Job 28 verse 28 says this, God says to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To shun evil, that's understanding. And so those are the kind of people that we are to be. As we go through this, we redeem back our time. We don't waste time in foolish, dead-end, cul-de-sac courses of action that take us nowhere. Because all you have to do is retrace your steps. You've got to come back to the beginning and do it over again. Isn't that right? And so the fear of the Lord, Psalm 111 verse 10, is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? So there's components of wisdom. You know, I mentioned that already. It's knowledge, understanding, and then wisdom. It's amazing to me that you watch King Solomon. King Solomon became known as the wisest man who ever lived. Is that okay? And um, it's interesting. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 to 31, he was the first earthly king that Israel had. But he was stepping into big shoes because before him, God was king of Israel. And he knew that God had always led his people with absolute wisdom. He had delivered them from the enemies. He had blessed them. And now they had asked for a king. And so he stands there as representing God himself. I mean, those are awesome big shoes to stand in. And so Solomon had enough wisdom to know that he needed the wisdom of God. So you need and I need enough wisdom to know I can't do it on my own. I need the wisdom of God. Is that okay? And so it says this. When he asked for it, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding, exceeding much, and largeness of heart. It's amazing. Wisdom will give you big-heartedness, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East Country and all the wisdom of Egypt. Remember, Egypt was the center of learning. 
That was the place that was the most advanced in science, in military tactics, and everywhere. That's where God took Moses to train him for 40 years to lead his people. So he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. And now God is saying, you know, as the Holy Spirit inspires the writing, and God is saying about Solomon that he actually even had more wisdom than Moses. It exceeded that. But um, it tells us Solomon lost that. How could he have lost that wisdom? You know, you think that he had that wisdom, but somehow he lost that wisdom, you know, because it was a gift of God. And it says this, but King Solomon loved many strange women. So he married 700 women. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000. I mean, you know, you can't handle one. How do you handle a 1,000? My goodness. And then he lost all his wisdom. So here's the deal. The Bible tells us, you know, that it came to pass, Solomon, that his wives turned away his heart and turned it off to other gods. Men, he has a biblical case. Don't listen to your wife. And I'm only joking. Okay. Yeah. You're not strange wives. You're good wives. He who finds a wife finds a noble thing. You know, Proverbs 31. And so he married women from all the other nations, and they turned Solomon's heart after their gods, and he built idols to all those gods and put them up in the high places. And so his heart wasn't on God anymore. So it says this, the Lord said to Solomon, for as much as you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will surely rend the kingdom, take the kingdom away from you, and will give it to your servant. In other words, what God was saying is your servant is wiser than you. The wisdom of God, so we can lose wisdom. The wisdom of God needs to be maintained. So there are two causes of folly that the Bible shows us. And the first is, is to rebel against God and his statutes, to say, I'm going to do it my way. It's amazing that after nearly 40 years in the ministry, how many Christians I've met. And um, Christians who will say, for example, I've given my life to Jesus and say, well, it's time for you to be baptized. I will never be baptized. Mm. You know, well, did you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes, you need to be baptized. And there's no way I'll never get baptized. I cannot tell you how many come and God blesses them and they go like, I just do not believe in tithing. There's no way I will tithe. Well, you know, one person summed it up like this to me. You know, because I was trying to encourage him to serve God. And this person said to me, I serve God my way. Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, how's that working out? You can't serve God your way. You serve God his way. That's yeah. wisdom. Come on, church. And there's a goal to this because it's laying the foundation to next week's message. So Jeremiah says this. The three aspects of folly. The second is to ignore his presence in our lives or not to develop the presence of God in our lives. Yeah. There are three aspects of folly. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 22. My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children because they have no understanding. So there's no knowledge and there's no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, which means that they don't have wisdom. They know not how to do good. And it's so unfortunate when we look at the world today, we see that people are more skilled in evil than in good. It's amazing to me that people can have an incredible demonic intelligence, a craftiness to think up evil and ways of stealing and robbing, 
that defy the imagination. You and I couldn't even think of it if we sat down and tried. But there's a propensity, a wisdom for evil. God says that's foolishness. Amen? And we're to think of ways of being fruitful and doing good. That's the way that the Lord wants us to be. But there's practical ways to increase wisdom. So very quickly, I want to just give you seven ways to increase wisdom. Are you all ready? I'm just going to name them. Number one, make it your goal to know God. Develop your relationship with Him. Secondly, study and read the Bible. Have a Bible reading plan. Study and read it and always pray for understanding of what you're reading. Proverbs 2, 4 says, and if you look for it, this is wisdom, as for silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure. In other words, you will find it. Third, apply the word to your life. Don't just read a word and not live it. Read the word and live it. Number four, make prayer a regular feature of your life. It's incredible how often God just slips a word of wisdom into your life as you're spending time with him. It's really amazing. And the examples are too many that I could share with you. And then pray before any situation that requires wisdom. Ask God. It tells us in James chapter 1, verse 5, that if you lack wisdom to ask God, God is a generous giver. There it is in the King James. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. That means he doesn't find fault and uh, reproach you. And it shall be given to him. And there are times when you need wisdom. Isn't that right? When just, God, help me. I, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this work colleague. I don't know what to do, how to approach my boss. It just seems like he's got an issue with me. I don't know how to deal with this child. I don't, Lord, how do I deal with this? And God won't find fault with you, even though you've blown it a million times, because the very thing you need is wisdom. So he wants to get wisdom to you. Amen? Because if you've got the wisdom, you will live the right life. You'll be fruitful and productive. And then it lays the foundation for what I'm going to share next week. And then, number six, ask the Lord to reveal any area in your life that is not yet submitted to his wisdom. Ask the Lord, is there any folly inside of me? Help me and reveal it to me that I can deal with it. Number seven, walk with the wise and draw counsel from them. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with the many advisors that give you wisdom, they succeed. Amen. So here's the deal. Wisdom leads to something that we all as Christians need. So here it is. So listen to this, and I'm closing. Proverbs chapter 8, 31 to 36. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. This is the door of wisdom. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. Is that okay? Find life and find favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me, that is hate wisdom, love death. Wisdom then becomes the root to the favor of God. And we all need favor. Wisdom is the root to the favor of man. And we all need the favor of people. 
because that way you will progress. Paul says it several times, once to Timothy. He says your progress will become evident to all. And so our progress as Christians is so important. We need to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. Is that okay, church? We need to be growing in every good deed and every good work. It will make your life so productive and so effective. You'll become efficient in all that you do because of the wisdom of God. Amen? And, um, you know, God will just start to breathe life into things, situations inside of you as you do this, and you'll have wisdom. It's very interesting, and I touched on it last week. Two people who were promoted highly, the highest promotion they could get to, was two IC, just under, you know, the rulers of nations, was Daniel and Joseph, and it was because they had wisdom, and they lived out those lives. And both rulers recognized in both men, these are men in whom are the Spirit of God. It was said about Caleb and Joshua, these are people of a different spirit. Listen, I've said this before, even the most corrupt person wants an honest bookkeeper. Wasn't that right? I mean, if you watch... The movies about that um, South American drug lord, Escobar. I mean, he had people that monitored his money for them. And though he was dishonest and he was a crook and he was into drug money, he wanted an honest bookkeeper. Is that right? Listen, even an evil world wants honest people. Nobody wants dishonest people around them. Is that okay? The president wants honest people around him. He wants reliable people around him. He wants trustworthy people around him. Is that okay? So even though the days may be evil and dark, if we walk in wisdom, we will gain favor with God and favor with man. So in other words, this is the time. The darkest time is a time for promotion for Christians. Amen. It's a time for us to go higher in him. Hallelujah. Amen. So we continue to press into wisdom and walk with wisdom. So next week, I want to touch on it. It's amazing when you read Joseph's story. Sold into slavery by his brother to the Ishmaelites. When he gets into Egypt, the Ishmaelites sell him to a man called Potiphar. And Potiphar buys him and brings him into his household. Listen, church. He was a slave. No rights. Not with his family. Taken out of his country. Had to learn a foreign language. And you know what it says in Genesis 39? And God was with him and God prospered him. I'm not in my country. I'm with these foreigners. You know, I'm a slave. But it says that even Pharaoh's house and all that he owned was blessed of God because Joseph was there. And because Joseph was there and Potiphar was blessed, Joseph became blessed. Is that all right? And it wasn't long. It wasn't long. It wasn't long. And Joseph was Potiphar's boss. because of the favor of God, because he walked wisely before God. So amen. So this morning, I just speak the wisdom of God over you. I declare that you have the mind of Christ, that as you read his word, that the spirit of your mind is enlightened, the eyes of your understanding is enlightened, in order that you may know the word of God, that you may know who God is, that your understanding will grow so much that you will have wisdom as you walk through this life, redeeming the time, earning the favor of God and of man, and that you receive increases in finance, 
opportunities that others don't, and promotions in your workplace that others are overlooked because of you, because you have in you the Spirit of God. So I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.